really funny how how the world goes around. You know, we we always knew he was absolutely nuts. Um, you know, like the guy was crazy. He was constantly trying to push our limits. And funny enough, you know, 20 years later, he becomes one of the best big wave surfers in the world. He's a late bloomer. He's um, he's 45 now, and he's just he's on the front run of big wave surfing at such an age. You know, that's that's not normal. One underway, Shao de Maceda. He's actually been competing on the big wave tour since its inception. He's one guy who could excel in any department of life. He chose surfing. Who is he? I mean, who is João as a person? Man, he's such a humble guy. I, I love him. You know, I wouldn't be a surfer these days. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for João. And, and you know, his enthusiasm, his kindness. But he's just a complete nutcase. On the other hand, you know, it's it's a bit of a contrast. João's a bit of a contrast. For almost three decades, João de Macedo has been surfing the biggest and most dangerous waves in the world. When talking to João, it's impossible to not get infected by his charisma and his genuine enthusiasm. And it's this spirit that has driven him to climb on top of some of the largest waves on the planet and also helped to shape what has become an elite community of big wave surfers in Portugal. Actually, we were able to contact some of his friends and peers And they all reassured us that Joao is just a super nice and passionate person. I feel it's endless. I can retire over all the lessons that I've learned <laughs> in my surfing life. But only a few years ago, his entire career came almost crumbling down when his passion and enthusiasm completely vanished. Suddenly, he had lost his drive for surfing, a feeling that was completely unknown to him. And when you think about it, it's crazy how... Pressure and negative thoughts can impact even the most talented and passionate people. I wasn't able to enjoy it, which is crazy. When I'm talking about it now, how can't you enjoy surfing no matter what? But obviously, you know, if you talk to any professional, there are these moments that you kind of forget. Um, you, you stop seeing the bigger picture and you're just too focused on on the smaller uh, details and the technical improvements and, and you lose track of the bigger picture. This is the story about how João de Macedo, after decades of riding waves, was suddenly faced with a terrible slump and how he managed to get through it. But it's also the story of change and evolution and how a guy belonging to an old-school gang of big wave surfers managed to stay on top of his game in spite of a fundamental transformation of the sport. I'm Niklas Janssen, co-founder of Blinkist, and this is State of Mind. Join me on discovering some of the most fascinating and accomplished people in the world. We'll explore how their amazing skills, their attitudes, their habits and victories are product of the state of mind. Joao was born in 1977 in New Haven, Connecticut. When he was seven years old, he and his Portuguese parents moved to Portugal. There, living very close to the beach of Praia Grande, he caught a bad case of surfing fever. But learning how to surf at the beach of Praia Grande was not an easy task. At the most western edge of the European continent, young Joao faced very challenging ways, 
coming in straight from the belly of the Atlantic Ocean. Not large waves, but very powerful and demanding ones. I come from a beach that uh, is very exposed to the North Atlantic swells. Praia a mais bonita de todo Portugal. It's just a special place that, uh, on the one hand, it's a very popular beach with people from Lisbon, from, you know, the capital. And uh, so families come and doing the normal things you do at the beach, right? You eat ice cream, you hang out, you go for a swim, you get hot, you go back, you know, play rackets. Just those random, you know, beach things. But at the same time, if you love surfing, you want to surf every single day. And if the swell picks up, well, that's when you test yourself. We always challenge with uh, very hard conditions. This is Nick van Rupp, 2013's European Surfer of the Year. He also started his career at Praia Grande and is one of Joao's most successful students. Nick is one of the top dogs of a new generation of big wave surfing. Uh, you know, if you want to surf, you got to be able to, to surf the waves of Praia Grande uh, that usually are, you know, rough and, you know, there's no escaping because uh, those are the waves we grew up. They're very powerful. They come straight from deep ocean into shallow seas and, and you know, it's, it's a cape. It's, it's the most Uh, exposed place in Portugal so growing up in Praia Grande that's, that's how it is you know either you surf these challenging conditions these big strong waves or you just don't surf it was probably his passionate spirit that made you all not think twice he simply jumped into this at times uncomfortable adventure developing skills that he wasn't yet sure where they would lead him until one day he took a surfing trip to Hawaii It's like he spent all this time training, mastering the turbulent waters of Praia Grande, to one day meet the true big waves of the world. And without even knowing, as though it was fate, he was fully prepared for them. From a very young age, I, I did a, a surf trip to Hawaii when I was 16. And I noticed that I was able to... Um, interact with the waves there and not be completely intimidated by the power of Hawaiian waves. And I think for all of us that were brought up at Praia Grande, it just ended up being something that we then were developing this skill subconsciously, this ability to be in bigger surf. Probably the best way that people can relate, I guess, is it, it's like a cliff, that vertigo sensation that you have when you look down and Your perception of speed is, is very, very uh, intense. I even remember a wave that I caught and, and it was like as if my brain just went blank. I lost my concentration or I just, it felt like I had almost fainted and I just dropped to the side because I, I just was not expecting to see such a, a vast cliff. If Praia Grande had been such a challenging beach, maybe Joao would only surf small waves today. But by being forced into challenging and uncomfortable situations as a kid, he learned how to push his limits, something he's still doing today all the time. You really have to have a special personality to pursue big wave surfing. It's the uncomfortable. It's getting hit by a huge wave and coming up with no breath and losing all your energy. You know, like, look around you. How many people do you see that want to be in an uncomfortable position? 
everyone has their little bit of big wit surfer in them, you know, just the limits are different. You know, a six foot, 10 foot, 12 foot wave can be a big wave for anyone else. And as these opportunities occur over the years, you just keep climbing that ladder until you reach the 20, 30, 40, 50 foot waves, you understand? So, you know, it's, it's a process. It's a matter of will. It's a matter of, of wanting to be better every day. And that really relates to anything in life. You know, everyone has their big goals. Everyone is scared of these big goals, but it's those daily steps that make you progress. And, you know, at the end of the day, give you that satisfaction of being alive. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, everyone's a big wave surfer. Everyone has their own fears. Everyone challenges themselves and everyone has their limits. And so do we when we're surfing big waves. There's certainly, it comes to a point where like, whoa, this is too much. This is dangerous, you understand? And that's when we pull the handbrake. I've seen better days, but not bigger days. We've got Cynthia this year. Uh, I'll take the console. Why am I obeying the North Shore? Back in the days, big wave surfing was a simpler sport. It was never based on rankings, points, or statistics. And judging by Joe's character, it makes complete sense. This sport had never been about fame or sponsorship deals. Out there, in the middle of the ocean, there wasn't a huge crowd cheering you on the moment you caught a wave and took off. Just the sound of your own heartbeat. And the feeling of being connected with the forces of nature. Or, how Nick describes it, a man versus nature affair. Big wave surfing has become a lot safer in the last couple of years. In Joan's generation, it was life and death. That's it. There's no middle term. Either you survive or you die. Surfing big waves was such a pure thing. Back in the day, people thought they didn't need the assistance of technology to survive. It was really like a man versus nature affair. If you can't handle a big wave on your head without any technology, you're not supposed to be there, you understand? You're not competing against other surfers, you're dealing with nature with the, the roughest, unmeasurable power there is. Especially at Nazare, you're in the center of, uh, you're in the toppest peak of, of the mountain, you understand? Like, big wave surfing does not get any scarier, any bigger, any more dangerous than at, than at Nazare, and such a deep feeling, it's hard to describe. And it's highly addictive. <laughs> When hearing this, it almost sounds insane, as if the first generation of big wave surfers were absolutely crazy. It's not something that's crazy. It's something that uh, is a very natural evolution. And I think that's when people don't understand the step-by-step progression and evolution that you have to go through to reach these levels is when people think, oh, you know, it's like jumping off a building or something like that. That's not the case. It's something that, you know, you've been studying uh, the places, you've been perfecting your equipment, you've been training, you've been doing this really vast array of, of things so that you're ready to be in the water in those days and that you're ready to take those risks and try to catch these giant waves. I think it's a culmination. It, it is... It's a way of life. It's just a way that um, you decide to, to live life more intensely. I was blessed to find a passion 
in my life through surfing and um, things just led me in this direction of to keep pushing myself was to keep surfing bigger and bigger waves. It's really a way of living and I feel really motivated when it inspires other people because this is just a very visual way of seeing things that other people do, you know, if they're very passionate about their job, about their company, and they sleep for only two hours or they don't sleep for two or three days to make a deadline. I mean, things that you guys probably, you know, live through and I talk to other people, you know, who on their path to success do crazy things, you know, that are not normal and, and they're things that push you. And I think that's very important for us as, as humans to tap into that and to look for our, our higher selves. It might look crazy from the outside when you don't see all the hard work, training and years of experience behind it. We had a chance to talk to João Valente, the founder and director of the longest-running surf publication in Portugal, Surf Portugal magazine. He has followed the career of countless surfers, including the one of his good friend João de Macedo. So he knows plenty about the training and preparation of all these athletes. People get used to making danger a way of life. And he, he gets a lot of preparation. These people, they give very, very little room to chance. So I think he knows deep within that he's much more well-prepared than most surfers in the world. According to Joao Valente, Joao de Macedo is way better prepared than anyone else. And it makes sense. If you're one of the few people that want to face the raw might of nature, you might have to step up your game Be extremely disciplined and train harder than any other small wave surfer. Big wave surfers, everyone kind of has their own program or some variation of, of a program. But, uh, you know, physical, some kind of functional training, you know, some kind of gym training that you just use your body weight. But stuff that you do outside of the ocean that just helps you um, prevent injury and just get stronger in certain areas that uh, you're going to need on, on, in these extreme situations. And it's not only his discipline. Joao has developed a very comprehensive training methods throughout the years. It's fascinating how this surfer mixes multiple disciplines and exercises to best simulate the real-life situations he has to endure when he's on top of a wave Or underneath it. I was doing some fighting exercises, uh, Muay Thai, and it, it's not really fighting with others, but it's just learning fighting movements, confronted with that and with balance exercises. And so it's just a, a, a way of kind of doing functional training within a kind of fighting uh, environment. A friend of mine uh, here from my home beach, so he's actually the national coach for underwater hockey, which I didn't know, but it's a sport. <laughs> And he's developed these exercises that you're uh, basically working out underwater. So a lot of the work you do is under physical strain and still holding your breath. It simulates more, so yoga relaxes you a lot, but it doesn't put you under a little bit of the strain that you have to endure under a giant wave. But being well-prepared physically doesn't make the sport any less risky. Even the best-trained surfer is exposed to sudden, unforeseen situations. And there have been some tragic cases where very talented surfers simply never resurfaced. It's just a reality that big-wave surfers had to accept 
especially back in the day. But in recent years, there has been a huge development within the world of big wave surfing. Yeah, there was a revolution not so long ago, if you think about it. Actually, the last death was 2012. So yeah, six years ago, where the whole community got together and like, hey guys, like, look at these people. They have a family. They had a family. Um, you know, now their kids have to grow up without their dad. Uh, this is not an ego thing anymore because at that point it was an ego thing. It was like, no, I can survive. I can do this. You know, everyone wants to ride the biggest waves, but everyone wants to come home in one piece. In Jerome's then generation, people, you know, didn't want a jet ski to save you when you're in a bad position. People didn't want a life jacket because life jackets were for pussies. Um, people didn't want your friends to look out for you uh, because you were manly enough to survive. There was no, and you know, that's not really like that. We want to push the sport. We want to be safe. Working together, there's the, the big wave risk assessment group, which is Bragg. We want to work with the best people. We want to have the best jet skis around us. We want to have people looking after us. We want to have doctors on the beach. We want to have helicopters when things go wrong. You know, it's a matter of survival and pushing the sport. We needed to go back to Joao about the risk topic to see if his generation would need to shy away from these safety devices. So he sent us this voice note over the phone. Yeah, there was a there was a time that it really was just us, you know, trying to pick out our lines and, you know, trying to focus a bit on performance, but, you know, also a lot on survival. It was something that uh, we didn't really know uh, how to improve the technology. Basically, um, with the death of Cyan Malowski, my full name is Cyan Malowski. It was something I wasn't in the water at Mavericks when that happened, but it was something that really affected the whole community, you know, the whole big wave surfing community and the paddle movement. I remember that the big wave risk assessment group was created around that time. Two waves and I almost drowned. Shane Dorian had a giant wipeout. I was in the water that day at Mavericks. And from that experience, he then uh, came to work with Billabong and developed uh, an inflatable vest, the, the first one. And it was just groundbreaking because, you know, it just really made us feel that we were progressing and that we were advancing. I mean, Nick and his generation really were able to inherit a lot of the research and design that uh, my generation really kind of put together and, uh, and developed. So, I mean, it's great to see, you know, his mindset of already having that as kind of like his uh, toolbox. And uh, for sure, you know, he knows the gratitude that uh, he has to the previous generation because um, we helped create this stuff. Joao de Macedo had belonged to a generation where big wave surfing, to put it simple, was about catching a very big wave and surviving the ride. But Joao and his generation also pushed to evolve the sport and make it safer. It was not a matter of life and death anymore. And this development has attracted a lot of new people to the sport. Amongst this new generation of surfers, there were people like Nick who want to make the sport more exciting. To make big wave surfing about more than just riding a wave, introducing sophisticated tricks and spectacular moves. This development has attracted a larger audience, bigger sponsors and big wave tournaments that are on a much larger scale. After the break, we'll explore if this evolution of big wave surfing is what could have triggered the downfall of Joao de Macedo. If you're enjoying this episode of State of Mind, you'll probably also enjoy Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that jumpstarts your personal learning journey. 
you can listen to key ideas from nonfiction books and discover new perspectives with eye-opening shows just like this one. If you'd like to try Blinkist, go to Blinkist.com slash S-O-M to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist Premium Membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash S-O-M to get 25% off and a free seven-day trial. Excellent. Blinkist.com slash S-O-M. Joao started surfing as a seven-year-old boy who just wanted to have fun. For the better part of his career, surfing was all about fun and pushing his limits and to surf bigger and bigger waves. When the WSL Big Wave Tour was created in 2009, this very pure sport started to turn into something very different. With the tour came more competitiveness, rankings, bigger sponsorship deals, and the honor of representing your own country. And suddenly, a tiny voice in Joao's head started to get louder. One of the expressions is the self-talk, which is a very powerful tool of the brain, but that sometimes we don't use it properly and that um, affects us negatively. So if the self-talk is negative, we're going to feel bad. I'll admit it's a recent tool and I didn't notice how hard uh, on myself the self-talk was. So it's something that's discussed very much, how there is definitely a, a moment that self-talk has to be uh, demanding and so that you push yourself But if your self-talk is too critical and if you're putting yourself down so much that then it becomes very hard to recover and to uh, appreciate all your accomplishments and all the things that you've done. Self-talk. It's that inner voice you have. And it can have a big impact on how you feel. Especially when the self-talk is harsh and negative, it can become a huge problem. When I requalified to the Big Wave World Tour... I felt that in my skin and I had had very, you know, positive performances and, and things that took me to where I am among this elite of big wave surfing. And I was just training so hard and I had to do a crowdfunding campaign that uh, allowed me to travel and go to the stops on tour. And I just put too much pressure on myself. In 2016, Portugal was hosting the big wave tour for the first time since its creation. The small beach town of Nazaré, home to some of the largest waves on the planet, was now officially part of the big wave circuit. And Joao was going to surf on home turf, representing his country. Praia Grande, the very beach where he learned how to surf as a kid, was just less than two hours away. If Joao had ever felt any sort of pressure, it was nothing compared to this. And the nagging little voice inside his head was louder than ever. I was putting on this pressure because obviously they wanted to see me win. They wanted to see me perform. They wanted to see their local hero go, go good. You know, the media was supporting my campaign. I was one of the favorites to win. And then suddenly you just bomb out and, and you don't do anything that you know you're capable of. And I, it just felt devastating because it was self-imposed pressure. It wasn't really external um, in, in any way. Funny thing about him, because he can be the most soulful, pure surfer and the most competitive surfer at the same time. He rides. He definitely had uh, a lot of time underwater and a lot of time dealing with some big waves on his head. His head is on the podium. He's not on his opponent. 
and uh, sometimes it makes him to get too much ahead of himself and that's why he commits so many errors I mean I've seen him taking waves that were impossible to make key moments in the final One of the biggest dangers of surfing, especially surfing gigantic waves, is losing control and falling off the board. This is what's known as a wipeout. The most obvious risk during a wipeout is being thrown onto rocks or reefs, especially in areas where the water is very shallow. On the other hand, when the water is deep, like in Nazare, and the waves throw you into the far depths of the ocean, it's crucial to return to the surface before the second wave hits. If the surfers don't resurface in time, they will have to wait for the passing of a second wave. And at that point, even the best trained surfer can start to run out of oxygen. Although they're very short seconds, they are a bit like a car accident. So when you are in a car accident, it suddenly seems that time slows down. And, and when you re remember those seconds, they end up coming very intensely. 20 seconds is a very, very long time to hold your breath while eating the waves, while the waves are breaking all over you and pushing you around like they want to rip your arms and legs apart. It's just a moment that, um, I mean, you, you lose control. What happens a lot of times is that you train to, when you, when you feel that, so when you feel your body going very deep or you feel the wave is uh, throwing you vast distance underwater when you feel that so you feel your body moving at a certain speed all those things you just have to absolutely shut down and not clinch you know not contract not um, you know you're protecting your head or just you know more of in a ball in some kind of fetal position something that is a little bit more protective but at the same time if the if the if the wave rips you open or, or spreads you then you just go with it you, you don't fight it I think he, he managed to uh, resurface right before the next wave would come, which is very, very good because usually when that happens, you are within the limits of your breath when another wave hits and then you have to endure everything else again, but with much less oxygen on your lungs. And so in that moment, I start thinking, oh my God, maybe I'm not going to make it up. Not only am I consuming precious oxygen, I'm, it's not useful at all in that moment. So I'm pretty sure that if I start thinking like that, I'm not going to survive. You know, that's probably the day I'm going to quit. Joao had learned to stay calm underwater, and he had the skills to quickly resurface. And at this point, a wipeout wasn't more than a typical occupational hazard. What he hadn't learned, though, was how to resurface from the depths of his own mind. All the pressure had put him into a very dark place a place he needed to learn how to get out of. In the Nazare challenge, he finished third place. But obviously, this result was not enough for the ambitious local hero. Even if his performance was still at a very high level, the pressure was consuming him and eventually taking away all the joy of the sport. Mario Almeida is Joao's manager and friend, who has always stood by his side and supported him. But Joao's sunny personality might have camouflaged his sadness, because even Mario couldn't spot the full extent of Joao's slump. Now I'm a little confused because after this, he got uh, full-time on the Big Wave World Tour. So with this result, 
he managed to be next year uh, competing full-time on the Big Wave World Tour. So I'm not really sure if this was the moment that he was, uh, like, uh, let's say, depressed. It was devastating. It was horrible. I, I had a, a, an injury that I was uh, nursing uh, for some time, an old injury that I had been carrying with me. And uh, I had had an accident in the final. And that just ended up being something that uh, not only did mentally I feel devastated, but my body just completely collapsed. It was interesting now in retrospect, but it was devastating at the time because I suddenly felt, you know, this accumulation of uh, pain, of physical pain, because mentally I was just so weak at that time because I was just so disappointed with myself, feeling that I had disappointed all the people who had uh, invested in me. And that I didn't bring the results, although I had trained as hard as I possibly could. I'd done all the sacrifices that I thought were possible. You know, then doubt sips in and it was like, oh, maybe I could have even tried even harder. And there was just no room for that. But in that moment, you just doubt yourself. And, and that's a, a really dark place to be. I never said to myself, I'm going to give up. So that never really crossed my mind. So, you know, <laughs> you have to start with whatever you can. That is good. And so that was good. And, and so I, I went to one of my physical coaches and he just had a very straightforward way of helping me, which because I was trying to get surgery for my rib, which was this old injury that I had that really made me collapse after the end of the season. And then as I was explaining how that combination of my physical kind of pain with the, my mental weakness after the disappointment of the season just really took me down and uh, my insurance didn't approve the surgery so anyway there were just these barriers and obstacles but he just kind of cut right through that and he said we're gonna have to work with what we have and that was just so simple and it really was grounding and at the same time it helped me look at all the things that I did have I had an amazing surfboard sponsor uh, I had this benefit of being close to one of the world's biggest waves so I didn't have to travel as much I just had to get in the car I had all my friends there in Nazare I had a team of people who supported me who believed in me you know so it just ended up being looking at all the things that I have and that I've accumulated over these years over my career and not just looking at the things where I missed or that I failed at and so it just helped me get right back into training and just doing everything and enjoying it you know it was it was just something that was kind of lacking in the previous season was that I wasn't taking more advantage of it because I wanted to take it so seriously um, thinking that that would help me improve my performance and I mean physically I was stronger because I you know I was training harder and I was fine-tuning a lot of things but that was it the, my mental spirit and mindset I, I wasn't being able to enjoy it which is crazy when I'm talking about it now how can't you enjoy surfing no matter what but obviously you know if you talk to any professional there are these moments that you stop seeing the bigger picture and you're just too focused on on the smaller uh, details and the technical improvement and you lose track of the bigger picture it's a common thing, especially in extreme sports, that our best and highest performances are when we're having fun. You know, I was talking to a marathon runner and she was saying, no, that's impossible. You know, it's, uh, I can't have fun. But she did admit, and this is where I think it's interesting, that she knows and she sees certain top 
athletes, when they are really running as fast as they can and their breathing is just so synchronized that they are not in extreme effort. So they are actually, their face expression is, is the cue and they're relaxed. So they are breathing, they're running very fast and they're in a marathon. So they're going to run like that for a long time. And that's what makes them not stop running because they are just... At that moment, they're actually relaxed, and so for sure, they're enjoying themselves in that moment. But you need to train so hard, and you're making such an effort, and you know, you have sponsors, you have expectations, so it's really hard to, at a high professional level, not only say that you're enjoying yourself, but to actually literally enjoy yourself. Things change, and there will always be that conundrum between tradition and innovation. Big wave surfing evolved by becoming a safer sport. And like most things, it evolved through people wanting to push it forward and by advancements in technology. From obscurity, big wave surfing stepped a bit more into the light, a light that Joao maybe wasn't used to. But he learned how to deal with the pressures of a sport that had suddenly evolved and how to cope with the negative self-talk that came along with it. He is still on the forefront of his sport. And his surfboard is currently hanging inside the all-time Big Wave Surfers Hall of Fame. Joao de Macedo is not just an amazing athlete. In the year 2000, he finished his degree in economics at one of Portugal's most prestigious universities. And in 2011, he completed his master's in sports management. And he even founded a surf school, passing on his knowledge to new generations, including Nick von Rupp. Joao is the perfect example of how someone can focus on both, being their best self, and also push and inspire a community, being an inspiration and a mentor for countless surfers. Juan's 45 years old. I'm 28. Um, Juan was my mentor growing up. My parents wouldn't let me surf when I was younger, and, and he actually came over to my parents' house and, and had a conversation, sat down for dinner and told them about, hey, you know, like I really want Nick to be a surfer. He's got talent. Uh, we can make this happen. And there was no chance that my parents would let me surf. So... Joao was, for me, a, a real mentor in that process. And the way he taught surfing amongst the community was just very special. For decades, Joao was fueled by his passion and enthusiasm and was able to push his limits every day by surfing bigger and more challenging ways. And then the enthusiasm stopped, drawn by pressure and negative self-talk. By overcoming those dark times, Joao might have probably learned the most valuable lesson in his life being grateful for what he has, cherishing the things that he has accomplished, the people around him, not letting moments of failure bring him down. And by allowing himself to fail, he learned to have fun again, which had always been a secret sauce for mastering one of the most breathtaking sports in the world. You reach more joy if it's a bit of a delayed joy. So I think the immediate uh, satisfaction ends up being very uh, kind of superficial happiness. And I think when you want to reach long-term goals and, and you make sacrifices to reach them, then you're able to keep progressing. Sadly, we have come to the end of the season. The good news is that a whole new season of State of Mind is coming soon. If you have enjoyed the show... You can look forward to more amazing guests and fascinating stories. Stay tuned for Season 2 of State of Mind. Everywhere you get your podcasts, and of course, on the Blinkist app. 
State of Mind is a production of Invisible Media and Blinkist. If you like what we're doing here, please take a moment and support us by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. State of Mind is executive produced by Ignacio Kalek and Alexander Bartole. State of Mind is also written by Alexander. This episode was edited by Ilya Siebert. Sound recording on promos by Elias Gonzalez. Music direction, sound design by Rafael Riner. Mastering and mixing by Roman Fleischer. The State of Mind theme was also composed and produced by Rafael. Additional music and sound effects, courtesy of our friends at Epidemic Sound. Check them out, they have really nice stuff there. Thank you, Joao, for taking the time to talk to us. It's been really inspiring. Also, thanks to Surf Pro Nick Van Rupp, Joao's manager Mario Almeider, and Surf reporter Joao Valenter for helping us put this episode together. All you guys put a lot of energy and soul into making this happen. Obrigado. Special thanks to Thomas Hasch, Rodrigo Caetano, Odi Constantino, and Torge Schwanz. Got Instagram? Follow Invisible Media for the latest news and a behind-the-scenes look at the making of the show. The handle is at the Invisible Media. There might be just one more thing that Joao is truly trying to push for. If you want to find out more about Joao's nonprofit projects, you can check out the World Surfing Reserves program at savethewaves.org or follow Joao on Instagram at Joao de Macedo 7. I'm Nikas Jansen, your host, and this is State of Mind. <laughs>